friend and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David Brown and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is the last sermon in our Jesus, Your Anchor in Anxiety series, uh, going through the book of Philippians. And today's sermon focuses on Philippians 4. And I'm extra pumped about this week's sermon because it's delivered by my beautiful wife, the Reverend Zoe Brown. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. God bless. The first reading today is from Philippians, um, chapter 4, verses 1 to 23. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with uh, Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as David began our series on Philippians, he reminded us that we need to do first things first by suffering. Oh, 
excuse me, uh, by giving thanks, I should say. We've continued on in this sermon series by looking at how to find joy in the face of suffering, how to be united in Christ, and how we should imitate the example of Paul, who imitates Jesus in our own lives. And I think what's been clear throughout of all of this in the last four weeks is that Jesus is the anchor in all situations. Never does faith in Jesus promise safety from trial or suffering, but this faith does guarantee that we can persevere through all things and that the best is yet to come. And so today we finish with the final chapter of Philippians. I like to see this as Paul's top tips section of his letter. He's preparing to leave the Philippians in some way because it will be either a while before it will be a while before he either sees them or writes to them again. And the joy that energized the church when Paul first shared the gospel with them is waning. And they don't know when or if they will see him again. And so chapter 4 is really the application of the whole letter. And Paul is helping the church, both then and now, understand what it means to live in Jesus without him around to teach them directly. So what exactly does he say? Well, across this chapter, I think there are three distinct themes to this application, the top tips. And Paul helps the Philippians see a way of living that could be described as a what, a how, and a why. What stand together in every situation. How through gentleness and rejoicing in prayer and petition. Why? Because God stands with us. Most commentaries break this chapter into two or three sections. And it's really good to look at some of the more detailed themes, but sometimes it's actually more useful to stand back and look at the overarching themes across the whole chapter. And when David gave me the sermon title for this week as Stand Together, initially I was a bit stumped. But as I stood back to read the chapter as a whole, I was struck by how many times Paul encourages the Philippians to stand together or to stand united in varying situations. And here's some examples. Verse 2, tell Euodia and Syntyche to stand together to teach sound doctrine. 3. Stand with these women to help each other. 4. Stand together with God in every situation. Verse 6. Stand together with God in the face of anxiety. 9. Stand together following the example of other disciples. 11. Stand together with God regardless of the circumstances. Verse 13. Stand together with Jesus who gives us strength. Verse 14. Stand with those who are struggling. And verse 21, stand together with all of God's people, both near and far. That is a lot of standing together for one chapter. Euodia and Syntyche were two Christian women, leaders in Philippi, who seemed to be leading their respective house churches with differing ideas. And regardless of which example you look at, I think Paul's words highlight 
that we need to stand together as brothers and sisters with God. Not just sometimes, not just when we feel like it, but all the time. Nonetheless, if we're going to do that, this feels like more than a big ask, to be honest. All the time, through arguments, health challenges, disasters, regardless, it's hard enough standing with David in all the time. (laughs) No, it's not. And I think before we knuckle down on how to be unified, we need to acknowledge that this is a big call because God has made us as individuals. He has formed us, but he has also formed us to stand together. And this call to stand together happens even when everything inside us, when every feeling towards God or towards another person might be screaming at us to hate, to hurt, to ignore or to blame. This call to unity is more than just feeling like we're unified. It's more than just loving each other. As the commentary said that I was reading, it's more than just the love stuff. And more often than not, it is a daily grind. When the person you are trying to support just can't help but dismiss you. When it feels like God is not hearing your prayers when the burdens you face are too great. This is not about indifference or allowing injustice to reign. It's about striving for unity. Paul is telling the Philippians and us that in all of these situations, we need to stand together with each other and with God so that we might be strengthened. So how on earth do we do it? Thankfully, Paul doesn't hand out this edict to the Philippians and then simply leave them high and dry as to how to do it. Verses four to six. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So as David preached on at the beginning of the series, in order to understand how to stand together, we need to focus on first things first. We need to rejoice in God and to bring our lives to him. When we forget to bring everything to God, we forget God. And in doing so, we lose any sense of direction, the sense of direction that is critical to living out the how, to living in Jesus. But when we bring ourselves to God day by day, in every situation, in prayer and petition, we come to understand and remember that God has lavished us with the gifts of life, of relationship with him and the gift of his son. And just as Paul opens his letter with thanksgiving to God, he closes it with thanksgiving to his fellow brothers and sisters. 
He thanks them for supporting him in prayer, in fellowship, in finances. Paul has seen firsthand the fruits of the Philippians' own gentleness and rejoicing. Because when we rejoice in the gifts of God, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Friends, this is no mean feat. If I'm being totally honest, I think the hardest situation I find to do this is with my boys. And our default response when we face anxiety or hurt or challenge is fear or anger or jealousy and self-seeking behaviours. When we've been hurt, it is totally real to want to hurt others back. And we bring others down to lift ourselves up. I'm often reminded of this, of when I've been frustrated at Micah, and then a few days or a week later, he will emulate exactly the same behaviour I've shown to him. And it's a hard pill to swallow. And I think, wow, that's the fruits of what I have shown him. What if I showed him fruits of gentleness and rejoicing instead? And Paul reminds the Philippians and us that when we put the first things first and give thanks to God, we allow patience and gratitude to grow in our lives. We're able to rejoice in God and to lift others up instead of bringing them down so that God may be glorified. These fruits of seeking whatever is true, noble, pure, lovely and admirable are harvested in response to giving thanks to God and sharing that with others. And in doing so, incredible things happen. Now, you might be thinking, what good can I do, especially compared to the example of Paul? But let's stop to consider Paul's circumstances at the time of writing this letter. They were actually pretty ordinary. He was in chains in prisons, shackled to guards 24-7. He lived a life of subsistence with little food or sleep. He faced the reality of his upcoming death and he had no earthly success to speak of. Nonetheless, he says in verse 12, I have learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Even in unbelievable struggle, Paul strove to stand together in thanksgiving with God and with those around him. And this seemingly ordinary act of worship in an ordinary place like prison bore extraordinary gifts of God's love. Paul didn't stop sharing the gospel knowing that he could encourage others in their lives by his example. He lived in gentleness and with rejoicing, taking every prayer and petition to God. And now we consider him to be one of the greatest apostles of Jesus there ever was, all from a man who spent much of his life travelling on foot, teaching by letters and writing from prison. 
So that brings us to the why. In his book, Start With Why, which I obviously didn't listen to, author Simon Sinek argues that humans instinctively understand what they do and generally how they do it. What we struggle to realise, though, is why we do what we do, our motives. Sinek says people who are looking to change their behaviour won't be successful unless they understand their motives, their why. And so while I might not have started with the why in this sermon, I agree with his idea that we need to realise our true motives if we're going to see change in our lives. And again, I think that brings us back to the beginning of doing the first things first. So as we orient ourselves to an attitude of thankfulness, it's a reminder that we are thankful for something. What is that? I think it's beautifully expressed in the words from 1 John 4. We love because God first loved us. Our motivations should come from the fact that God has loved us so deeply. Not only has he brought us into existence, but he has never given up on us. He has forgiven us through Jesus and he has given us the gift of his spirit to guide us each and every day. And it's from the recognition of this gift that we can realise our why. Because God stands with us and through us, he works out his good purposes. Verses four to seven again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And as Paul finishes in verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So while we can feel discouraged in the midst of endless challenge or frustration, remember also that God is near us. He stands with us in both our joy and our sorrow in every situation. This knowledge, I pray, brings our hearts and minds to rest in a place of peace, the peace of God. As Paul says, we can learn to be content whatever the circumstances. And not only does God stand with us, but he strengthens us in the face of trial. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Unfortunately, verse 13 is often seen as a proof text to kid ourselves into thinking we're invincible. I've heard it in a sermon from a rugby player who saw it tattooed on the arm of another rugby player. And I thought it was helping him be convinced that he could do anything and beat anyone on the field. And while this is a tantalising way to see it, it would fool us into thinking that in fact we don't need God. Instead, Paul's drive here is to remind us that whatever we face, God does not forget us or leave us. He is not distant or heartless, but he loves us so deeply that he stands with us, guarding our hearts and minds, giving us the strength to endure, restoring all creation. 
God stands with his church so that we can stand together. So often when we face anxiety, we become overwhelmed. We retreat from God or from those around us. And in doing so, we lose the opportunity to invite God into our lives and to be strengthened by the example of those who God has put there. When we face conflict, we often go on the attack. We blame others and we become reliant on ourselves to fix the problems. When we do this, we fail to show an attitude of thanksgiving and forgiveness. We forget God has forgiven us and that we have a mandate to build others up in Jesus. But through Paul's words and example, God calls us to live a life that is different. This is a big ask. He calls us to stand together and to build each other up in an attitude of gentleness, rejoicing and prayer so that we might bear witness to those around us that God is the God who is with us, who is near. And when we do this, we allow space for God to be present in our lives and to work the peace that transcends all understanding over us so that he can work to redeem the whole of creation. Not once does Paul say that God will make life easy, that he will remove remove life's obstacles. But he does teach us when we anchor our identity in Jesus, we can stand firm in the knowledge of God's presence with us in all situations. When we worship God in our ordinary lives, standing together with Christ, God does extraordinary things. Amen.